hey, uh, we want to wish you, uh, wish you dads and uh, grandfathers a happy Father's Day. Uh, Scott said it really, really well that I remember uh, at the beginning of my ministry, I would often uh, hear from fathers who would skip church on Father's Day. Uh, they're like, I'm just not interested in, in getting the snot beat out of me. And uh, I feel like uh, the, the church has kind of turned the corner on that just kind of globally. But also, I feel like culture has shifted on this a little bit. That like when you're watching TV, you don't see the kind of uh, um, bumbling, disengaged father uh, portrayed very often any, anymore. And I think our culture has realized, and as has the church, we need dads, <laughs> Right, dads play an incredibly valuable role in in culture and in the family, and they make a huge difference. And uh, I know that has not been everybody's experience, so there's some pain that surrounds this holiday, just like Mother's Day. Uh, I know that some people are um, going through life without their dad; their dad left early, or through a divorce or disengagement or, or whatever. And uh, our our prayers are are for you. But uh, for those of you that are present in your family right now, and you're trying to build something beautiful and wonderful and eternal, uh, we just want to thank you for the work that you're doing, and uh, we want to honor you. So, uh, the best way, as Scott said, you know, we could do it. I mean, there are probably more expensive ways we could do it, but we chose root beer. Um, and uh, so. At the end of this service, we're going to go out and, uh, if I could say it this way and, and not be judged, we're going to just kind of lift a beer to dad, a, a root beer, um, and, uh, and uh, celebrate dads, whether your dad's here or like mine. My dad uh, left, uh, left this world in November, and so this is my first Father's Day without him. We're just going to remember, remember our dad. So, and, uh, and thank God for, they weren't perfect. Lord knows they weren't perfect, right? No, no dad is. Uh, we have one perfect father, and it's God. Uh, so, so your dad wasn't perfect. I feel confident of that. But we can thank God uh, for what he did do and the way that he was present. So let's pray, and then we're going to continue in our neighboring series, all right? Heavenly Father, uh, we know that when uh, you were making the decision for how uh, you wanted to communicate with your people and the visual that you wanted uh, to give them, that um, way long ago you started calling yourself a father. And so we know uh, that this is an important issue to you and um, uh, that this is how we identify with you. And so I wanna pray for the dads and grandfathers in this room, people that are present in their family, um, trying to make a difference, trying to raise children or grandchildren. I wanna thank you for the work that they're doing. I wanna pray that you would give them a, a spirit of truth and grace and that you would be with them every step of the way. I wanna pray for people that on a day like today, they're experiencing some loss uh, some grief or a hole or um, that this area of their life has not been right for a long time. I want to pray for grace for them and peace uh, and that you would just remind them that they uh, do have a father, uh, you, and, and you are the absolute perfect father. So may they rest in you. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Uh, there are just some things uh, that you're not going to hear dad say very often, uh, stuff like uh, modern music is way better than the stuff I used to listen to. Um, you're never going to hear a dad say that. Sure, why don't you drive my car? I'll ride shotgun. Probably never going to hear your dad say that. Uh, is there anything you want to watch on TV? Probably not going to hear your dad say that. Life was so much easier when I was growing up, right? Nah, probably not very often. Uh, it's all uh, it's all your, if all your friends are doing it, it's probably fine. You should do it too. You'll never, ever hear. Yeah, I, as a father, I'll never say that. But uh, I, think you, I think you should have your say on the rules in this house. 
Nah. Uh, relax, relax. School is no big deal. Nah, probably not. Uh, my daughter's new boyfriend, he just seems great. No, probably never going to hear that. Um, I want you to open up your Bibles to, to Luke chapter 10. This is one of those passages where I think Jesus almost sounds a little bit like a dad in, in this text. If you think about one of the, the great roles uh, that dads play in family and in culture is that good dads are teachers, right? They, they teach their children uh, physical things, spiritual things, relational things, life things, that good dads are teachers. And when you read this passage in Luke 10, uh, Jesus almost steps in with his disciples as a teacher. And he's teaching them specifically how to take the gospel of good news into a new neighborhood. And below the surface of this, he's really trying to teach them as they enter into a new town, how to be a good neighbor. And uh, as we're kind of digesting this content and we're thinking through, um, what if Jesus was really serious when he said, love your neighbor as yourself? Uh, and what does it mean to do that? What does it mean uh, to be a good neighbor? I think Jesus has something to teach us on this. Uh, here's uh, where we're going to start. Uh, what do you say we start in verse 1? All right. All right. Then uh, Luke 10. After this, uh, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick uh, who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town... Uh, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So just a little bit of context. Just a chapter earlier, Jesus had sent out his kind of nuclear 12 apostles uh, to go ahead of him. And now we see Jesus kind of expanding the group. He's expanding it to, to 72, and he's sending, them, uh, he's sending them ahead of him into towns where he plans to go. And their role is to go ahead of Jesus, meet people, go into the neighborhood, meet people, serve them, and start to lay the groundwork for them to in be introduced to Jesus. So you can see why this is a good neighbor, how to be a good neighbor. This is a good text to study because Jesus said, going into town, going to the new town, be a good neighbor, prepare people to meet me, and let's just see what happens. And one of the kind of uh, well-known statements that Jesus makes in this text is this, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers into his harvest field. And I think this is true in a couple different ways. This is kind of pastor nerd just for a minute, okay? If you'll allow me to talk about kind of uh, my career and my industry just for a little bit. But a lot of studies that I have read said that in the next 10 years, uh, the United States is going to be in a pastoral crisis. Um, and, and the reason for that is the pastorate, uh, and I'm, I'm an example of that, the pastorate has aged about 10 years. 
uh, just over, over the last five to 10 years, it's aged an additional 10 years. And uh, that, that those that feel called uh, to pastor, their average age increases and increases. And what that means is this, younger people are not feeling the need to go into the pastorate. Uh, they're just not seeing the need for it like they did years ago. And it is creating a chasm in need and those willing to do the job. Uh, I'll give you an example. A church I know up in Michigan uh, called me uh, kind of during the pandemic, and they were wondering if I knew of any candidates for their church, a uh, little kind of country church, good church. I served there when I was a youth minister, and I do know anybody kind of looking right now. And the reason they were reaching out to me is that they had this opening, and they had posted the job opening in several different places, and their comment to me was that they didn't get a single applicant not a single applicant for their ministry position. Uh, and, and it's illustrative of, of what's going on in the world, that the pastor is getting older, younger people, younger people are not seeing the need to go into the occupation, and in about 10 years, I believe, and I hope I'm wrong on this, unless we do something, in about 10 years, this is going to be a full-on legitimate crisis where churches are not going to be able to find uh, people for the pastorate. And so I want to encourage you, like Jesus says, first of all, to be praying with me over this issue. Pray for more workers. And if you're a younger person listening to me, I want you to know that the church is an incredible thing to give your life to. Uh, it's an honor to serve the local church. I think part of the issue over the last 10 years is the church has become kind of the, the thing we beat up on. And so when we do that, when we're beating up on the church all the time, you can understand a younger person going, pass. <laughs> right? This does not sound like a thing I really want to give my life to. right? And that's been happening nationwide. And so uh, I just want you to know the church is a wonderful, incredible thing to give your life to. It is an honor to serve the local church. I want to encourage you to consider it to pray about it. Dads, I want to encourage you to encourage your children to a life of service and ministry in some capacity. So that's one way to kind of think about this text. The other way is probably the better way, and that's that we are all workers. In our neighborhoods, you are, in your neighborhood, you are a worker. In your church, you are a worker, a kingdom worker. In the world, you are a worker. We are all servants of Jesus, and we are called to make a difference in our community, and what Jesus says is equally true for us. The harvest is plentiful, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so as we leave this place and we consider ourselves servant, uh, that almost sounded like the sermon's done. It's not anywhere close, all right? I didn't want to give you a false sense of hope, all right? But as we exit this place in 30 minutes, um, <laughs> that would be a better way to say it, right? Um, we want to be fully engaged, fully alert, and fully invested in our communities because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are are few. And, and this is how the gospel gets shared. It starts, I really believe this, it starts with being a good neighbor. I think there's something to what Jesus teaches. And so in this text, he kind of teaches us what being a good neighbor looks like. And here's the first thing he says. He says, when you enter into your neighborhood, here's what the first thing you say, uh, some version of this, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Now, this is a, a standard kind of friendly greeting in the first century, but the Greek word actually also carries with it the absence of strife, all right? So when you're going into your neighborhood, when you're interacting with your neighbors, we want it to the best of our ability. We want to create an absence of strife. So when you're interacting with people, we don't want to just full on all the time be engaging them on less important things, 
So I walk over to your neighbor's house and like, this is an example of what not to do. So what do you think of mask mandates? What do you think about politics? What do you think about uh, the, who's the greatest basketball player of all time, LeBron or Michael Jordan, right? Pepsi or Coke, if you really wanna get separation from your neighbor, that's a good debate topic, right? We understand as Christians that there are more important things than that. Now, we also aren't advocating that you just immediately bring Jesus into the conversation because that can be weird or awkward. Don't make it weird, right? But this is saying that we seek peace with our neighbors. We advocate for peace so that Jesus can be shared at some point. Several years ago uh, for Father's Day, uh, Cheryl paid to have uh, some raised beds put in for me at our house. Uh, so that I could have a small garden. Uh, I grew up gardening. It brings me a lot of peace and uh, a lot of joy, and she doesn't understand it at all. When I first started talking to her, when we bought the house, I first started talking to her about putting in a garden, and she's like, we live a mile and a half from Kroger, (laughs) and tomatoes are super cheap. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to need an explanation. Yeah. And, you know, how expansive is this hobby going to become? But anyway, so, so it was a real sacrifice for her on Father's Day. She surprised me with it. And she had this soil put into these raised beds, uh, this fertilized soil. And that first year of that garden, I could not believe the way the vegetables grew in these flower beds. And it was all about the soil. It was all because of the soil. And here's what Jesus is teaching us. Peace is incredible soil for the gospel to grow in. Anger, dissent, jealousy, that is not great soil for the gospel to grow in. It creates tension. And so we want to be, in our neighborhood, we want to be promoters of peace. Not promoters of political agenda, not uh, promoters of uh, pandemic debate or cultural debate or whatever. You've seen some of this happening over the water park thing, right? seeing a lot of online kind of debate about that, and and some of that's fine and some of that's good, but we do want to be promoters uh, of peace. And isn't it interesting that Jesus says uh, in, in different ways, he says, love your enemies, and he also says, love your neighbors. And for some of you, it's the same person. Right? For some of you, that, that's the same person. I felt kind of bad about a story I told a couple weeks ago about our neighbors turning us into the city for our, our lawn. And what I felt bad about that was, as a part of that story, I was supposed to say, those are not our neighbors today. We have new neighbors now, and they're awesome. We have really, really good neighbors. Uh, but honestly, some of you don't. And you have an issue going back with your neighbors that you, you kind of remember what it's about, uh, like you think well, it was maybe about them being really noisy or maybe you were being really noisy or, or fence lines or yard maintenance or whatever the case may be. And I don't think Jesus is saying in this text, never address issues, right? Sometimes you have to talk to your neighbor about uh, and have a tough conversation. But I think Jesus would say, we seek peace with our neighbors to the best of our ability. The Bible says, as far as it depends on us, seek peace. Now, there's an interesting part of this text. He says, as you approach your neighbor in peace, peace be with you. Um, If they're a person of peace, your peace will return to you. If not, uh, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. And here's what Jesus is teaching. Some, Some neighbors, some people are not interested in peace. 
Uh, they're not interested in Jesus. They're not interested in the gospel. Uh, they're not interested really in you, right? We, we've had a, a couple times, we've had kind of a tense relationship with neighbors. One issue going really far back. And I remember Cheryl was talking to me one time and she's like, why don't they like us? <laughs> she said, we're nice. <laughs> I don't know why they don't like us, but they, they don't. And that's, it, it's not your fault. Um, it's important to remember what I said, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So you do your best to promote peace. They may not be interested in peace. That does not mean, all right, it's go time, war. Right? It doesn't mean that. It means that you still promote peace. You still search after peace. You still long for peace. Now, here's the other thing Jesus says about being a good neighbor. I wish my son Sam were in here. He says, eat what is offered to you. <laughs> And somebody give me an amen. <laughs> For the love of all that is holy, eat what is offered to you. Our son Sam, uh, he, he is a picky eater. And I, I, not to give you the whole story on it, but he came out of the womb picky. But then uh, last, like a year and a half ago, February, I guess it was, we think that COVID went through our family before we even knew, knew about COVID. Uh, my wife, Cheryl, got very, very sick. And then Sam and Lila got the digestive version of it. And honestly, when he got hit with the digestive version of it, his palate became even more restrained, right? So he likes peanut butter. Thankfully, he loves fruit, almost all fruit, and Reese's peanut butter cups. And we tell him all the time, oh, well, it's good. Yeah, I mean, man does not live on Reese's peanut butter cup alone. Uh, but... It, it's, always, it's always been a, a challenge. And to be honest, it used to be something, because I, I, I am not a picky eater at all. I, I have a really open palate. And it used to be something I was kind of judgmental about when I saw it in other people. And God said, son, here, here, here's a son for you that, that, that you can raise that is very, very picky. And what really changed me on this issue is Sam has gotten older. I have seen the visceral reaction he has to certain foods when they enter his mouth, right? And I, it's not like he's making it up or whatever. It just affects him in, in a really, really profound way. And so my kind of thing with Sam right now is that you're probably always going to be picky, I would guess. Uh, but we want to make sure that your pickiness uh, does not affect your relationships, that you're kind and considerate about what you want to eat. Sounds like a father, right? And I think there's some truth to this about uh, not being offensive uh, about food. Have you ever been on a, a missionary journey before where, where you've been on a missionary trip, uh, a mission trip? And usually the missionary will pull you aside and be like, hey, I know some of you are going to be picky. I know some of you have really restrictive palates. Eat whatever's in front of you. Right? These people don't have very much, and what they do have, they put a plate together for you. Uh, do not be offensive to their culture. And we've kind of lost sight of this in our American culture, but it's true that we don't want a thing like food to get in the way of our relationships and our witness. And so there are ways to do it. You know, I'm teasing about the pickiness a little bit, but there are ways to do it, even if you're picky to be polite and genuine and just honest and forthcoming and not judgmental. Like, what? Is, you know, we, this is what we're working with our nine-year-old about. You know, you know, Cheryl will work real hard on something. And it's like, ugh, no, don't make that sound. <laughs> don't make that sound. <laughs> Mom worked really hard on this, right? We can work out dietary stuff, but don't make that sound, all right? Um, and while that is true, I'm teasing here a little bit because I actually don't think this is exactly what Jesus is teaching. 
Uh, I think it's part of what Jesus is teaching, but I think what he's teaching goes a little bit deeper than this, that I read one commentator that thinks that Jesus might be alluding to the dietary restrictions of his early followers that they had when it came to their Jewish faith. And he's saying that, man, as you go forward on this road, you're going to meet people that are not Jewish. You're going you're gonna to meet people that aren't, don't have the same dietary restrictions that you do. And this is the beginning, because we know this eventually happens the whole way, but this is the beginning of Jesus easing those restrictions on Jewish men and women to say, man, eat in freedom and kind of uh, don't allow food to become a barrier to you. And that when you're out there and you interact with people that don't have these dietary restrictions, don't make a big deal of it in the moment. Eat freely so that you might be able to share me with other people. So I want to ask you, what are some things that are really important to you in your faith that you might, that, that God has allowed freedom in? That's an important caveat here. Things that are important to you but God has allowed freedom in that area that you could lay down for the good of your neighbor. And, and sometimes this might be stuff that's really important to you. Growing up, I'll kind of show my age a little bit, but when I was growing up, the main translation of the Bible that was used again and again was King James. Right? Some of you remember the King James Version. But for a child, it was hard to digest. It was hard to understand. And I actually remember a pastor one time at a conference I was at, um, not, not joking at all. This was kind of uh, an old school revival. I shouldn't call it a conference. It was an old school revival. And he said, to all the young people, I want to say, if the King James was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for you. <laughs> um, I'm not good at math, but the King James translation came out in 1600. Um, so I know math is hard, but, um, you know, that, that dog doesn't really hunt. And I, I just remember, I just remember this is the first time I, I really was exposed to this, that people felt so strongly about this translation. And I started to see kind of younger preachers and younger pastors say, y you know what? I think I'm going to start to, in the 70s and 80s, new translations started to come out. And they said, I think we're going to, these are easier to understand they're easier to digest. I think I'm going to start preaching out of these new translations, even though I really love the King James. And I'm going to do it for my neighbor so they can better understand God's word. They were willing to eat that food for their neighbor's good. Take it a step further. For some of you, it's music. You prefer hymns. You just do. But for the good of your younger neighbor, you're willing to attend a church with drums and guitars in a church that sings new music, you're willing to eat that food. Even though it's not your dietary preference, you're willing to eat that food for their good. Maybe for you it's even more personal than, that, than corporate, and you say, you know what, I just prefer the Republican way of thinking, or I prefer the Democrat way of thinking, but I'm gonna, lay, I'm gonna eat some different food. I'm gonna digest some different food for the good of my neighbor. Here's how the Apostle Paul said it. Though I am free, I belong to no one, Look at what he says. I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I become like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I become the weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by any possible means, I might say something.
I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. Kind of harsh language, but have you ever considered it before? How have you, when you look around the people in this room, how have you chosen to make yourself, to make yourself a slave to your neighbor? My son loves video games a lot. Um, my daughter loves princesses a lot. At 45, I don't particularly enjoy either. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> she asked me what princess I want to be the other day, and I, no matter what answer I give, it's wrong. <laughs> and truth be told, I don't want to be any princess. I want to I be me, and that's okay. Um, but for the good of my relationship with both of them, they're, they're my ultimate neighbor right now, my, my children are. For the good of the both of them, I'm doing, to the best of my ability, I'm trying to learn about Mario. I'm trying to learn about Cinderella. I'm trying to learn these things in order to connect with them. Maybe for you, it's like your neighbor loves fishing. You just don't. Your neighbor loves cars. You just don't. Your neighbor loves baking, but you just don't. But maybe being a slave to them, what this looks like is you're going to choose to eat at their table. And you're going to learn to love what they love. And you're, you're going to learn, you're going to pick up what they love in order to share Christ with them maybe someday. And I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are, are thinking, because this is what I'm thinking as I'm writing this. This sounds super disingenuous. That, that you are asking me to pretend to be something I'm not. And I would argue I'm absolutely not, I'm absolutely not doing that. And if that's your motive, it won't be effective. What I'm articulating is that because we love them, we love what they care about. And so you do it out of love. You say, man, you love fishing? I don't. But I'll love fishing to win you. You love baking? I don't. I'll love baking. I, I can learn to love baking because you do. You do it out of love. And in a loving relationship, the hope is that in a loving relationship that you also get to share what you love. Right? That I'm not enduring all this Mario and Cinderella for no reason. Right? Someday in a loving relationship, you get to share what you love. Your, your, you get to share your family that you love, your hobbies, and maybe, just maybe, your faith. And so I'm not advocating being disingenuous at all. I'm saying when you love someone, you love what they love. And you cross the bridge and you pick it up and you eat at their table uh, for, for a deeper and better reason. Next thing Jesus says is uh, heal the sick or serve. He says, man, when you go in, you're going to lead with peace Right? You're going to eat what is served before you. Uh, you're going to eat what is placed in front of you. Uh, you're going to uh, not allow food to be an obstacle. And then you're going to serve and you're going to meet their needs. And you might not have the spiritual gift of healing, but you need to understand that God has gifted you. And he has gifted you in part for your neighborhood. You bring something to your neighborhood. You bring something to your neighbors, and he has gifted you for this reason. Here's how Paul says it. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. And to each one, meaning all of us, a manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. 
To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another here gifts of healing. This is one Jesus is talking about by that same Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another an interpretation of tongues. All these are at work of, of, one, of the one and same Spirit, and he distributes uh, them to each one just as he determines. And I've, I've shared this with you before, but I really like how uh, Rick Warren, pastor in California, describes this. He says, every follower of Jesus has been given a spiritual shape, S-H-A-P, that you have a spiritual gift, that when you become a Christian and, and the Holy Spirit resides inside, resides inside of you, uh, you are given a gift, and it might be leadership or teaching or compassion or generosity or hospitality. You have been given a heart. We talked about this a few weeks ago, that this is like your Popeye moment or your Nehemiah moment. It's all I can stand, I can stand it no more. Remember that from a few weeks ago, that, that God has given you a heart for some issue. He has given you ability, uh, that this is just something you're born with, that when you, uh, when you have multiple children, that you start to realize how different just the abilities that we're born with are. My son uh, has... Uh, spatial reasoning and creativity. My daughter, Lila, has incredible just relational memory that she'll wear a dress six months later and remember exactly who gave it to her, exactly when they gave it to her. Just incredible memory. And God will use each of them in unique ways for his kingdom and for his glory. And you're the same way. You have ability. Personality, we all have one of those, right? God has made you an extrovert or God has made you an introvert. He has given you a sense of humor He's not giving you a sense of humor, right? That, that you have personality, uh, you have experiences. That uh, when I look back on my uh, kind of preaching time, that when I was a young preacher or pastor, I remember I talked a lot about losing a parent young because that was my experience. My mom uh, went to heaven when I was 17. And now, like, since I've been here over this time, I've talked about adoption more, infertility more. Why? Experience. These are experiences that Cheryl and I have had, and you're the same way. You, you've, walked, you've walked a road. You've had experiences. Uh, and all of this combines to give you the ability to serve your neighbors, your church, and your world. And here's what I want to say to you. Embrace your role. Love your role and serve. It has taken me a very, very long time to learn this, to embrace my role. Let me just say to you, if you need a carpenter, do not call me. Do not, there is nothing in my shape that would indicate that I'm good at that, right? But if you need manual labor, God built me for a reason, right? If you need encouragement, I'm really, really glad to do that. If you want a dialogue about spirituality or God's word, call me. I have a role to play, and so do you. Some of you, uh, you feel self-conscious, because like your shape has you behind the scenes a little bit more. Don't be self-conscious. Even though you're behind the scenes, you are making a difference and you are leaving a legacy. Serve. Some of you lack confidence in your role. You are uncertain. And while, hum while humility is a really, really good thing, you should have absolute confidence in God and the way that he has designed you and shaped you for this world and for his kingdom. And some of you lack vision. You just don't know, especially if you're younger, that you just don't know what your role is. And here's what I want to say to you. Follow your shape. 
What are your gifts, abilities, personality? What are your experiences? And then follow your gifting. And here's what I would say to you. Start to serve. There's no better way to learn how you are designed than starting to serve and learning some ways that you're not designed and then by default, eventually learning some ways that you are. That you will find that as you begin to serve and as you take steps forward, you will find I'm just not good at this or I I am good at this or I'm not as good as I wanna be but God has given me this desire and given me this shape and I can grow in this area. And those are, those are the three categories. But really the best learning is not by taking tests, although we do one here, we, we could do a test. It's not by doing a test, it's by serving and learning how God designed you. And the last thing I wanna say that Jesus says, I should say, is this, say something, last thing. Specifically, he says, whether they extend peace to you or whether they don't, here's what I want you to say. This is Jesus's words. The kingdom of God has come near to you. There's, a old, uh, there's an old saying uh, by Francis of Assisi, and it's uh, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. I love that statement because uh, it talks about the example that we set and the way that we live and how we interact with our neighbors. Uh, but can I say this in love to Francis? words are almost always necessary. Uh, They almost always are. It's good to be nice. It's good to serve. It's good to demonstrate love. But at some point in almost every interaction I've ever had, saying something has to happen at some point to point people to your motivation. That, hey, I'm doing this because of grace. I'm doing this because of love. I'm doing this because of Jesus. And can I tell you something, even at 45 years old, I'm a preacher for a living, that's scary. It just is. That, that's scary. And so my prayer is that when God opens the door for us, after loving and serving, after, when God opens the door for us, that we'll have the courage to walk through it and we'll have the grace to say what we need to say and to say it right. Uh, So love and serve, allow your loving and serving to prepare the way, but just be prepared. Bible talks about this, being prepared to give a reason for your faith. Just be prepared that at some point you're probably gonna need to say something and kind of think through that in your head. Like how, what would you wanna say about your motivation? What would you wanna say about your experience? What would you wanna say about your savior and your Lord? And then have the courage to seize the opportunity and have the grace to say it in love. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you Uh, for the ways uh, that you have designed us and the ways that you have shaped us. Um, We want to be good neighbors. We want to love our neighbors well. We don't want anything, food or or anything else to get in the way. So uh, would you help us to lay down what we need to lay down, pick up what we need uh, to pick up, and that we would just love the people around us and we would love them well. Uh, May we, as we conclude this series today, uh, may we be good neighbors. May we love well, may we serve well, may we walk through the open doors to say something when the open door is there, may we have the courage to say it and the grace to say it right. And above all, may we point people to the moment we're about to experience together. May we point people to your son, Jesus, who was a good neighbor and is a good neighbor, died for us, rescued us, and has made us right with you. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Let's receive communion together. Uh, It's under your chair. We also have uh, on your way out um, behind our communion trays at every door. Uh, There's trash when when, uh, 
you're, you're all done uh, when, when you're ready to exit. But right now we want to just remember, uh, honestly, I, I, kinda, I don't, it, this almost sounds like an overly simplistic, flippant thing to say, but Jesus was the ultimate good neighbor. He was. He, the, this, the, the instructions that he gave to the 72, Jesus followed to a T. He's like, I'm going to come, I'm going to love, I'm going to serve, I'm going to make a difference, I'm going to speak uh, when I have the opportunity to. And um, we just want to follow his example, but it starts with remembering the cross and his body that was given for you so that you could be welcomed into his neighborhood. His blood that he poured out for our salvation and for, for grace. And my prayer for us is that we would absolutely follow his example and we would leave this place and run to our neighborhood ready to love and serve and walk in grace and be willing to speak when the time is right and that Jesus would be our example of how to do that. Uh, this wraps up this series for us, uh, this neighbor series. Uh, next Sunday, uh, we are starting a, a series on the book of Philippians, um, cleverly entitled Philippians. Um, is uh, the name of that series. And uh, I just wanted to, I thought after the last couple years uh, I thought it would be nice to study a book whose one of the one of the dominant themes of this book is joy, uh, and uh, joy uh, in difficult circumstances. And I just thought, as we're kind of coming out of pandemic and all that, I thought, man, summer uh, 2021, I just want to study Philippians, and I, I want to study joy. So we'll be doing that um, through August 15th. So we'll be doing that the rest of the summer, just kind of chapter by by chapter. I think about eight weeks uh, in the book of Philippians, and so I'm looking forward. Uh, to study in that with you. You can start ahead by uh, reading Philippians 1, 1 through 12 if you want to. And I, I want to wish you again a happy Father's Day. Uh, we're glad uh, that you are here. Uh, on your way out, chips, root beer, enough for everybody. Like I said, we're kind of raising a, a root beer in dad's name and, and remembering him. And uh, so be sure there's enough for everybody. I assure you uh, that I posted the picture. You saw the boxes of them. I had, uh, I had three pastors reach out to me but where did you get your dad's? We can't find it anywhere. And we have, our, our guy drove like four hours to get it. All right, so you can, you can thank uh, our guy in the sound booth back there. We got enough dads for everyone. So uh, enjoy it. God bless. Happy Father's Day. And I have a great week ahead.